Amen. Amen. There's a lot to fear in the world in which we live today. There's a lot of things that are going on that, that honestly have every opportunity and every ability to create fear in our hearts, fear in our lives, financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, the, the thought of all of the things that are going on. Aren't you grateful that God has given us a fear not for every single one of those days? Yeah. Amen. I am going to continue today to share with you out of Luke's gospel and looking at this investigation of Jesus, the God-man. And we've gotten to the point where we are at the birth of Jesus. I, I started last week and will continue to move in to the birth of Jesus, Christ the Lord. And this is something that all of history has been waiting for. This has been something they've been anticipating for thousands of years since Genesis chapter 3 when God in the garden announced his plan to send the Savior that would be the Redeemer of mankind. He announced it in the garden right after the fall and to this point here, history has been waiting and anticipating this event. It, this is something that for you and I, here we are in this uh, in, uh, post-Christ era, post birth of Christ era, and, and we live in this time where it's easy for us to underestimate and to not fully understand how much these people were expecting and waiting and anticipating the coming of the Christ, the Christ. And here Luke's at this point where he's describing and sharing about the birth of Jesus Christ. And after all these thousands of years and the waiting and the anticipation and all the things that are going on, it says that, that the angel finally comes to announce the biggest announcement in all of history. Nothing bigger has ever happened. Nothing bigger. I mean, until he comes again, there's nothing bigger that will have happened at this point. Nothing bigger. And the angel comes to make this final announcement. And where does he make it? And who does he make it to? A bunch of shepherds. Praise God. Praise God. And so the angel comes to announce this announcement. And I'm thinking, you know, we need to look at this. Because this Christmas story, right? I mean, we, we usually, we look at this at Christmas. I'm going to have to really dig as to what I'm going to do at Christmas now. <laughs> but this is the Christmas story. I mean, this is what we look at every Christmas. And, and therefore, because it becomes so familiar, this is one of these sections of scriptures that can become so familiar to us that it's really not familiar to us. I mean, we, can, we, we know what it says, but we don't really know what it says. And I want to take today, this is going to be a two-part sermon. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to come back next week to get the, uh, the completion of this. But I want to take the time because I feel it's very important. You know, we've got all these thousands of years of anticipating and waiting and all the prophecies and the promises, uh, you know, over 400 prophetic utterances that were given to the coming of Christ that were fulfilled in his birth. And here we are. It's finally time. It's the announcement that's being made. And the angel comes and he makes this statement. And to be honest, I've been looking at this and looking at this, and I thought, man, after all of that waiting and all of that anticipating, he comes and makes one statement. I thought, man, I would imagine that's a pretty important statement. Amen. Yet it becomes so easy to take what the angel said and to just bulk it into the whole of the story. And do not stop and look at what it is that the angel said. And what the angel said is vitally important. And I want us to understand this. The angel said this, For unto you, unto you, he's making this personal, unto you, is born when? This day. He's talking about a specific event that happened on a specific day. He is talking about something that actually happened at an actual moment in time. And he says, unto you is born this day. Where? In the city of David, in the town of Bethlehem, which was a fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given us to when and where the Christ would be born. And so he's talking about the personal thing that God has done on the specific day in the fulfillment of the prophetic utterances in the city of David. And he says there is a Savior. And then he says who that Savior is. And church, I think this is where we tend to gloss over this. 
who is Christ the Lord. Amen. He is Christ the Lord. I told you last week, we talked about this last week, that, that that word Christ, it means Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior. The one that they had been waiting for. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Messiah. The Lord, which means supreme master God. That the Messiah has come, and it's God himself who came to be that one, meaning he is preeminent. He is the ruler. He is over all. He is king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is God, and God is Emmanuel. He has come to be with us. Come on, isn't that amazing? But sometimes I think what happens is we, we take the birth of Christ, and we accept that, we love that. We love the story. But we take this little baby Jesus, and in our minds and in our hearts, we cause him to grow up to be who we want him to be, not who God sent him to be. You see, we want a Christ that, that, that fits comfortably into our life. God says you need a Christ that will come and destroy your way of life. And so we, we, we tend to take the different places and theologies of our life and we just try to insert Christ into that in a comfortable way that we can feel good about ourselves but not be too inconvenienced. And so we, we make Christ out to be who we want Christ to be. And again, I think that we gloss over this. We, 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 we know the Christmas story. We've heard the Christmas story. We've become so familiar with the Christmas story that verse 11 just becomes another line in the Christmas story. Just like Jesus becomes just another line in our lives oftentimes. And this story here, Jesus didn't come to be just another line in our lives. We lose sight of the fact that Jesus, that baby, was born into that world on that day in Bethlehem, the fulfillment of over 400 scriptures to come into this world to be Christ the Lord. Listen, he did not come so that he could grow up to be the Jesus you want him to be. He came to grow up to be the Jesus you need him to be. And if he's not that Jesus, then that's not the Jesus that he was sent into this world. Who is he to you? See, we, we get all tied up and we, we take Jesus, Christ the Lord, God himself, and we try to insert him into our worldview. Various ways in which we see God. Various ways that we all have to, to look at God. And I want to tell you that honestly, and I think that we'll all see ourselves in these descriptions that I'm going to share with you today, but there's basically five different worldviews. Five different ways in which we view the world. Five different ways in which we view God. Five different ways in which we, we view our presence in the world and, and the things that will come and what will happen after this life. And it's amazing. And amazing to me, and this is why I wanted to share this today, how we, the church, try to insert Jesus into these worldviews that we bring into the, our salvation. We don't really want to change all that. We just want a, a comfortable Jesus that will fit into all of that. And so we have to look at this. Look, how, how have you tried to fit baby Jesus into your life? Let me tell you, he, he won't fit. Come on, he's God. He's creator, we're creation. So rather than accepting Jesus Christ, as, he, as the angel said, and declared him to be who he was as Christ the Lord, what do we do? We try to accept him into our worldview. Jesus didn't come to be fit, fit into our worldview. He came to destroy our worldview and become our worldview. So I want to take the time today to share with you, and then I'll finish with this next week. I want to focus in on that one scripture there. Jesus Christ the Lord. And what is it that we do with that? that announcement. What do we do with that baby Jesus? There's a lot of different uh, ways in which we all come to Christ, but I really do believe that out of that, there, there's, there's five different worldviews that we have that honestly, I think, encompass us all. 
And some have come out of that, and some have tried to incorporate Christ into that. Some have, have come into the church and left all that outside, and some come into the church and, and just try to make him submit. And so I want to take these views, and this is really, these become the, the only real ways in which we can view God. And the first the way in which we look, the theology or ideology that we look at is atheism. Atheism. I mean, it's that place, theos is God, A is not. Meaning the atheism is no God. There is no God. And atheism takes a tremendous amount of faith. I mean, to trust in the fact that there's no God, because in this case, that means this life is all we have. This is it. And there's a lot of people who feel that way. There's a lot of people who, who like to take baby Jesus into those thoughts because it brings a sense of comfort, but there's really, there's nothing after this life. This life is all we got. Which, what that means is that there is no God who made us. There is no God who knows us. There is no God that, we, that will come to us. There is no God that we come from. There is no God to comfort us. There is no God, at the end, there is no God to greet us. There is no God. This life is all there is. That's it. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> now, philosophically, if all of this atheism works out to its logical end, this is a horrible, scary way to live life. It, is, it, it really is. I want to read to you a couple of quotes, and you're going to have to pay attention because this guy uses a lot of words to say something really, really scary. And these are profound, well-known atheists. Bertrand Russell, he said this. Listen to this. That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the age, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast depths of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Praise God. Yeehaw for that, luckies. And he goes on, he says, and then he says, he says and all these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that, and listen, he says, no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Can you think of a philosophy that might hope to reject that? And then he goes on and he says, and this is the part that really just, wow. And he says, only within the scaffolding of these truths all that that I just read to you, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Wow. Let me just kind of summarize this. You know, what he's saying is there is no God. You're from nowhere. You come from no one and you have no purpose. And if you're hurting and you're suffering, there is no one that's going to help you. There's no one that's going to rescue you. There's no one that's going to comfort you. And when you die, there is no one waiting for you. So this is the scaffolding of your life. And I want you to build it on unyielding despair. Richard Dawkins, a more modern-day atheist, he, he was asked this question. He was asked, doesn't your worldview lead you to depression? And he said this. He said, I don't feel depressed about it, but if somebody does, that's their problem. He said, maybe, maybe, maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. <laughs> 
And then he said, the universe is bleak, cold, and empty. But so what? The universe is bleak, cold, and empty. But so what? You know, the thing about atheism is if you look at atheism, it's logically consistent. Their beliefs, they're logically consistent, but it's emotionally deadly. Listen, you come from no one. You come from nowhere. You have nothing. You go no place. Make, listen, your, your might was what will make right. Only the fittest survive. And if you're losing, it's because you're a loser. And if you're in pain, it's for progress. So be destroyed in the name of achievement. Listen, the universe, it's bleak, it's cold, it's empty, but so what? Build your life on unyielding despair. I was reading this to Joni last night, and I thought, man, you know what? No wonder atheists have no good songs. Man. That's why. All this, which leads inevitably... How can it lead any place else but to this? When, you're, when your life is hurting, when your life is in pain, and you will have trouble, you will have sorrows, and you're struggling, and you're injured, and you're, you, you go through a diagnosis of cancer, you're going through a rough time, your children are wayward, you get fired, you're near the end of your life. Emotionally, you are completely undone. Here's where you're going to go with that ideology. You're going to go into depression. You're just going to be depressed. This is one of the reasons why the number one category of medicine today, prescribed medicine, is antidepressants. And again, please, I'm not, I'm not against all medications, and I think that there's you know, points in times when those things are used in our life for a good purpose. I'm not saying that all medication is sin. Don't, don't send me messages about that. But I will say this, and you can send me messages about this. I think that for a lot of people, medication has become your functional savior. It also leads to self-medication. So we self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and sex, pornography, shopping, violence, entertainment. We, we have become a, consump- a consumption culture. We just consume, consume, consume because that's what will make us feel better. Or it results in suicide. Why wouldn't it? I mean, if there's no God to judge me and there's no God that's going to help me and there's no God that's going to help me through the situation and if I die, there's no real consequence and then things are hurting really bad, then this is just a way out. I'm going to die anyway. I'm just changing the date. And this is why suicide rates are through the roof. This is why teen suicide rates are through the roof. This is why little junior high girls are cutting themselves. Ideologies like this. You know, I, I was thinking about this. My, last, last Tuesday, my brother, my brother that's just older than me, passed away. And... Uh, you know, it was a traumatic time. He, he, you know, thinking back, he, you know, there was points in Rick's life when there was a lot of really, really good things. Rick, Rick when, when his kids were little, Rick was a great dad. I mean, he loved those kids. And, and it's Derek's dad. And most of you know Derek. And Derek's dad is the one, my brother that passed away. And um, he was a good dad to them. In his later years, he had some difficulties and some things that went on, but he was a good dad. And one thing that Rick had a gift with was kids. Kids loved him. And my kids loved Uncle Rick. You know, again, he was probably the favorite of them all just because he was so good with kids. And when Rick passed away, my kids, you know, they were upset. And you know what, what I didn't do? I did not set my kids down and say, hey, kids, look, the universe is cold, empty, and bleak, but so what? Look, the key to building your life, kids, is to build it on unyielding despair. And here we go. Kids, listen, only the fittest survive. 
Uncle Rick didn't make it, so he's back in the food chain. I mean, that's what happens to the less fit, the weak. It's unbelievable to me that people would adopt this as their hope for life. That people could, would do, this is no, listen, this is no way, this is no hope for life. This is depressing. But a lot of people have adopted this as their worldview. And it's evident in the fruit of their life that's being produced. But it all falls apart when we start, when we start having to contrast that with our existence and with life after death. So what do we do? Well, I don't really care for that anymore, so we move on to deism. Number two, the second kind of the ideology that we, that we bring into even our born-again life is deism. Deism is the belief that God made the world but left. That God, God and again, you will find these things, these are not new. If you read through the book of Galatians, you will find that Paul was talking about all of these things. And he was talking to the church, and he was talking about how all these things were creeping back into the church, how they were creeping back into people's thoughts, how they were creeping back into people's beliefs. And Paul said, you foolish Galatians. Read through that. You'll see he, he was talking about these things. Deism is where we believe that God made the world but then left the world because we were bad. We were bad. We sinned. We fell. We rebelled. Now sin fills the world and has an effect on everybody. It's perverted everything. And God, he's like, man, that is a mess. You people made a mess out of what I made you. I made all that for you and look what you all did. You went ahead and just messed it all up. And you know what? It's too big a mess. I'm not gonna try to deal with it. I don't wanna put that much work into it. Forget it, I'm out of here. And so God left. Church, again, I, I know it sounds, I'm being a little dramatic and I'll be dramatic in some of these things, but a lot of people, a lot of people believe this way. Well, you know what? I believe God made me, but then God's got nothing to do with me. So I can do anything I want. People that feel like God doesn't pay attention to me, and that means God doesn't pay attention to your life, and that means that God's not paying attention to the world, and he's certainly not coming back. He doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't want to get involved with you. Look at the mess you've made. It's too messy. Now again, this... Deism is what many of our founding fathers believed in. It was something that was prevalent at that point in time. That's what they believed. Unitarianism still believes this, still teaches this. This is what's being taught in our schools and colleges. This is what is being embraced in our institutions of higher learning. In 2005, it was declared, they, they, through studies, they found that the prevailing, the, the, the prevailing kind of ideology and theory, spirituality in, in the Western world, in our world, in, in young people, was called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And what that means is that God is far away. You're on your own. So do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel good. You just need to be good. You just need to be good. We've all thought that. You just need to be good. You need to feel good about yourself. So be good at whatever it is you do. That's all you need to do is just be good. Because you, listen, because you come from God, but God's not having a part in your life. So take care of yourself. He's not here with you. He's not watching over you. And he's certainly not going to come and rescue you. Now, he may or may not show up at your death. But pretty much, good luck. You're on your own. God created us and abandoned us. God, God is like a dad who walks out on you. You're on your own. Some of you may have seen the movie um, The Devil's Advocate where Al Pacino is the devil. Perfect casting. <laughs> and, uh, and his description in that movie, his description of God was that God is an absentee landlord. And that is the way a lot of people feel. 
like he made the world and he left it and he's not coming back. You're on your own. So you better be good. But the results when, when you're not good and when you don't feel good and when things aren't going good, depression, self-medication, suicide. And church, we see why, why, why even in the church we see some of these trending up. Because we try to fit the baby Jesus into these ideological molds rather than letting him change them. So, so a lot of people don't like that. So, so we move into uh, pantheism or panentheism, which are monisms, meaning that one, meaning that all is one. Now this is very big. Monism, it, it, it manifests itself in pantheism and panentheism which again, sounds similar, but very different. Pantheism is that everything is God. Everything is God. We see this today. These are, these are big in the New Age movement. These are big in, in, the, in, honestly, in new religious trends. Everything is God. This, uh, this was really popular, but you can imagine, I'm sure for some of you, that, that this brings some problems to mind. Because if everything is God and you get cancer, then that cancer becomes a god. I mean, the cigarette butt you threw on the ground, the cigarette butt that gave you cancer is, is God. Because if everything is God, then whether it's cancer or a cigarette butt or a mosquito, well, it's God. So some people had problems with that. Can you imagine? But this, again, it is still a very prevalent thought. There's probably many of you that came into Christianity with some of these thoughts. And so that, that change to panentheism, which means God is in everything. That sounds a little more comfortable, right? That, that God isn't everything, everything isn't God, but God is in everything. That, that, that belief is that he's not a God, God is not a God, he doesn't have a, he's not a person, he's a force. He's a divine force. God doesn't have a name, he's just an energy that fills everything. And if you dive deep enough into anything, you'll find the divine power that's within that thing. Because God's an energy. So where, where uh, uh, Atheism says there's no creator. All there is is just this creation. All we have is this material world. Deists say that there is a creator and a creation, but the creator wants nothing to do with the creation. And panentheism and pantheism, or monisms, would say we have a creation, but there's no creator. What we have is a divine force that fills creation fills everything so that everything is knitted together as one because it is it's it's a monistic thought or monistic ideology and what that then means is that good and evil are one that they just come together and so what it also means is that you don't come from God you're not here for God God's not here with you you're not with him and you're not going to God because what there is is this material universe. And you are spiritually connected to it by the divine that's within it. But you're on your own to do that. So good luck. Good luck connecting with the tree. Or the rock. Or whatever it is. Even inside of your own self. Good luck. But I will tell you, you better do better. You better try harder because you're not being good enough and you're not trying hard enough. And what we do is we, we, we pour this in and we call it spirituality. Well, I'm spiritual. How many have heard people? How many of you have said that? Well, I'm spiritual. So are demons. We, we think because we're spirit. You, you'll be shocked how many people I get phone calls from that claim spirituality, that they're going through a really hard, really rough time, and they don't know where to turn in their spirituality, and so what do they do? They call the pastor. 
Because in spirituality, this vague kind of Western spirituality that we have embraced as a culture, we, we, we call it consciousness or yoga or meditation where we just dive deep into ourselves, but it has no ability to help. It has no ability to change what's going on. It has no ability to bring comfort in the midst of a really uncomfortable, difficult, painful time. And so what do they do? They reach out to the pastor. Listen, the problem with all this is if you didn't come from God and, and you don't belong to God and God's not here to judge you and there's no God that's waiting for you and there's no God that's gonna be a judge over your life and when you're suffering and you're hurting and you're going through something and there's injustices all around you and there's evil in the world and people do bad things to you, people say hurtful things to you and you have done those things to other people, there's this place in our heart that says, wait, where's the justice? Because church, in our own hearts, we will call out as the image bearers of God, a God who is judge, we will call out, where's the justice? Where is it? There isn't any. There isn't. Because in, in this, there is no judge outside of this system. All there is, there's good and evil, but they're the different sides of the same coin. It's all One. It's all one. What that means is that when you're in pain and you've been hurt, your life's been torn apart, you've been raped or you've been defiled or you've been, been betrayed, you've been abandoned, you've been turned on, you can't say that was wrong. All you can say is that happened. Because beyond that, there is no appeal to anyone beyond the creation. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's no God that will help you in that situation. This is the Oprah Winfrey ideology. And it's being taken hold of in really powerful, strong ways in a lot of lives. So, so, but again, the, so you're saying that there's no good and no evil? No, that church, that's wrong. Yes, there is good. Yes, there is evil. Yes, there is God. Yes, there is Satan. Yes, there's a creator. Yes, there's a creation. Yes. There is good. There is evil. Because when you get into this ideology and believing this way, when things go difficult and things get hard, there's only a couple places that you can turn to that will happen in you. One of them is depression. I'm left alone. They're abandoned. I, there's nowhere to go. Or self-medication. Or suicide. Can't you see why these things are on such a huge uptick? And I, I'm sure that there are some of you that still hold to some of these beliefs as well. And we try to just incorporate little baby Jesus into our life and conform him to our ideology. Church, it won't save you because that's not who Jesus is. So what do we do? We go to number four. Theism. Theism. Theism is a belief, and praise God, here we are. We, theism is the belief that there is a God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Theism, there's a couple of different theisms. One is monotheism, meaning one God. Those are things that Judaism believes. That's Islam is a monotheistic ideology. And then there is polytheism, which means many gods. Mormonism, Hinduism, religions that are polytheistic. So there are religions that say, or, or, or uh, organizations that say there's a difference between the creator and creation, and the creator made creation, and yes, God is a judge, and he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is good, and he is the one who will stand and judge each and every one of us, and when we die, we will stand before God, we will give an account for that which we have done, and we will stand before him, and we are sinners, so we all stand before him guilty, because we've all failed. 
See, the problem with theism is they don't have a savior. There, there isn't a, a savior. So what do you do? You have to save yourself. You have to be good enough. You have to be religious enough. You have to follow the rules. You have to join this. You have to join that. You know, do you know what theism becomes? It becomes religion. It's religion. Think about it. If you want to be a, a good, a good in Islam, pray five times a day and go to Mecca. Okay? Obey the moral laws. If you're a Jew, that's what you need to do. If you want to make it to heaven, obey the moral laws. If you're a Jehovah Witness, you need to live a perfect life. You need to work hard to become one of the 144,000. The Mormons believe you need to transition from this lifetime into a, a lifetime of being a God yourself. Attain your divinity. How? By joining this organization or working hard enough to obtain your righteousness. Eastern religions. You're just going to be reincarnated and suffer over and over. You're going to go from a cow to a dog to a bug on the wall so that you can suffer enough to pay the penance that needs to be paid to pay God back for what you've done. And church, the one thing that's the same in all of them is that you've got to save yourself. You've got to save yourself. You've got to do something. You got, this is imperative. You've got to do something because God's not pleased with you. He's not, he's not coming to help you. He's not loving. He's not merciful. He's not compassionate. He is a judge. And he is watching how you do. And we see God as this distant, furrow-browed, crooked-fingered Entity standing over us, just pointing his finger at us. You're going to give an account to me. You're going to give an account. So you better do better. You better try harder or you're going to go to hell. That's it. And in theism, you, you have two choices, two places that it will lead you. In, in trying to achieve your salvation by works, you will end up in two ways. One is pride and the other is despair. That's where religion goes. Pride or despair. Pride, when religious people feel like they're doing a better job than you. I'm doing, hey, I'm good. And I'm doing a pretty good job compared to you. Hey, it's where we begin to feel like huh, I'm doing good things. I'm a good person. I'm trying hard to do good things. God, listen, this comes out. God loves me because I've earned it. The problem is that those, the religious people become the worst, most smug, self-righteous, difficult, judgmental, hypocritical people in the world. You know what? The prideful religious people killed Jesus. And so church, they tend to believe this. And again, this is prevailing in our community. Good people go to heaven. Good people do. And so that ends in pride. Well, I'm a moral, religious, good person. Because I judged myself according to you. This is what happens. I judge myself by ourselves according to what I do and how it was in comparison to you. I judge myself by what I do and what I intended to do. And I'll judge you by what I see you do. Therefore, I feel better about myself. Hey, I tell you what, it's going to take a whole lot more than that to see eternal life. A whole lot more than that. Because church, it just doesn't work this way. But that's where theism, that's where religion goes. And it goes to either pride or it goes to depression. I'm going to be depressed. Can you imagine the guy who missed prayer meeting? Ah, oh, great. I didn't make it to Mecca. I got a flat tire. 
I forgot about prayer. I only made it three days last week. I'm going to burn. This is terrible. What can I do, though? I didn't join the right club. I'm in trouble. Big trouble. Nothing but trouble. I'm a loser. God's going to God's going to burn me. Man. That leads to depression. And church, here's what happens with theism when it leads to religion. This is what happens and there are some of you that are in this place. When we, when we adopt theism and we start to walk in a religious place, it will show up by the fact that when you're hurting and you're in pain, you're going through a really difficult, a really, a really difficult time. It's because God's hurting you. It's because God's punishing you. That's why I'm going through this. Oh man, God, why are you doing this to me? We think God's punishing us because, look at, you know, we think of God like an abusive dad. Yeah. Oh, God, what? Well, oh, hey, you did, you what? You did that? Bad. Are you, I can't believe, I'm going to hurt you. We think of God as a, a fist-clenched father that's waiting to whack you. He's just watching your life. He's not watching so he can get involved. He's not watching because he loves you. He's not watching because he wants to help you. He's not there because he wants to put an arm around you. He's waiting for you to mess up so that you can give him a knuckle on the back of the so he can give you a knuckle on the back of the head. What up? Oh, smack. Now, listen. I know again, I know I'm being overdramatic to something that many in the church think. And what happens when we get punched by God? What does a punch from God look like? To theists, it looks like, now I got cancer. Now, I'm going through a divorce. Now, I'm hurting. Now, I, yeah, you know, I lost my job. Now I'm suffering. And so we start to fall apart. And we start to come apart spiritually. And we start to come apart emotionally. And we start to come apart physically. We start to come, across, come apart financially. And, and what do we do? We don't run to our Father in that case. We run from our Father. We don't cry out to our Father. Church, we hide from God. Why? Why? Because God is punishing you. He's hurting you, and he's going to make you pay. You need to atone for your sin. You need to do what is righteous. You need to do this. And so until you do, just take your beating. Shut up and take your beating. Let me just say, that's horrible. That is horrible. The truth is, for us as Christians, the Bible says that God is our Father, that God loves us, and that you, as a son, a daughter of God, have been adopted into his family, that he has called you apart, he has set you apart to be a son, to be a daughter. And is there consequences for sin? Absolutely. But not God saying, oh, you did, I'm going to smite you. I'm going to step on you, little bug. No, no, there's consequences to sin. God said, hey, hey, Mark, Mark, don't do that because if you do that, this is gonna happen and you're not gonna like it at all. And then Mark does that and Mark gets these consequences. God, why are you doing this to me? Can't you see Jesus up there right next to God going, I told him. I, I told him don't do that. And now the devil has him blaming you, Father. 
Proverbs in Hebrews says that God is a daddy who loves us so much that he will correct us, he will discipline us, but the punishment from the Father was placed upon Jesus Christ who became our sacrifice. There is no punishment left. God has taken the punishment, placed it on Jesus who became our sacrifice. In church today, our Father, he's not punishing his children because God gave those punishments to Jesus. God is not a God, a daddy who comes with a clenched fist and wants to punch his kids. God's a dad who comes with his arms open and he comes to rescue his wayward children. He comes to stand at the end of the road and to wait for the prodigal to come home. Why? So he can place his robe of righteousness on him that he can take and put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and to show him the love as he places his arm around him to protect him and to keep him as he walks him past all the naysayers, all the theists, all the deists, all the atheists saying, oh, you can't this and that. And the father says, no, this is what a father is. But listen, this whole picture of theism, religion, you're on your own. You're on your own. God's not coming. And the truth is, is that God may just punch you in the mouth anytime he wants. You don't know when that's going to happen. But you are going to stand before him one day. And you're going to stand before him in the end. So you better do your best and hope it's good enough. Because you could, you, you could stand before God one day and find out that you spent your whole life trying to be good enough, trying to join this organization, trying to be a part of this, and you could find that you worked all your life trying to do the good, trying to be good, and find out that one day as you stand before the judge that it wasn't good enough. And you go to hell. Church, not a cheery way to live. But there are many of us who were indoctrinated into some of these theologies, some of these ideologies. Worship team, would you come back up, please? And we bring them into the church. And we hear about baby Jesus. And we really like that idea. But I, again, I saw this illustration in my mind that, that we cause Jesus, we, create, we, we take baby Jesus and we cause him to grow up into what we want him to be. Rather than accept him as the Jesus that we need him to be. Amen. Church, let me say this. We are saved by grace, not by works that any man can boast. It is only by the grace of a loving Father whose design and desire in this world was to do something to create the opportunity for you and I to be restored to the love of a Father who gave it all for you and for me. His desire is that you and I would receive the gift of salvation, the grace of God into our lives. Church, this is why verse 11 is so important for unto you is born this day. Personally, it needs to be personal. It needs to be in a moment on a specific point in time. Unto you is born the prophetic one, the end of pro or the fulfillment of prophecy, and that God wants to come and to be birthed into your life. And he is Christ the Lord. He's not who we created him to be. He is who God sent him to be. It is God himself that came into the flesh to pay the price and to be the penalty for your sins and mine. We accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, as the Savior who comes to save us from the grips of hell and to take us into eternal life with God the Father forever and ever and ever. He is our Savior, but He's also Lord, meaning that we are fully and completely submitted to following Him. And what happens is that in that, our minds start to be conformed by the washing of the Word. And our mind starts to be conformed to the mind of Christ. And we start to see the washing away of all these ideologies that lead to hell. To realize that he didn't come to fit in. He came to make a way for you and I to be taken out. 
that one day we will have eternal life with him forever and ever. And we begin to conform our minds to the mind of Christ. And we begin on this journey. And this is the journey to walk out your salvation, to spend the rest of this lifetime walking out your salvation. That means accepting what God says in place of what we say. Believing what God says rather than what we say. That means accepting the Christ, Jesus Christ the Lord. That little baby that was born is the prophetic utterance of God sent to grow up and to be God who would overcome death, hell, and the grave, and he would live for you and for me. He's God. We're not. We fit into his world by the grace that he provides. We don't make him just fit into ours. And if that's what you've done, you need to repent. Repent. Paul said, oh, you foolish Tewillians. How long? Will you waver between two opinions? How long will you walk in your ways rather than mine? God's looking for a church that will rise up in the power and the authority of knowing him as Christ the Lord. Do you know him that way? Listen, has the Christ the Lord, has Jesus Christ the Lord in the process of transforming your mind? Or is your mind in the process of transforming Christ? That's something that you have to deal with directly with Him. I'll, um, I'll finish this up. I'll give you number five next week. I think you'll find tremendous hope in this. I promise you don't want to miss it. So be here. Those of you that are online, be here. Amen. It's time to get together. It, it's time. Will you all bow your heads with me and pray? Where are you in this process that we've talked about? You see some familiarities to some of the things that God's wanting to conform to his image? Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray you pour your spirit out in power and in might to come, Father God, invade the darkened, the darkened thoughts of men and women and to let the light shine that, Lord God, we could see as you have called us to see that you truly are Christ the Lord. And God, we repent. We repent, Lord, for trying to make you into what we want you to be, for, for trying to get you to fit into a, a portion of our life rather than to become our life. God, we repent. If that's you today, just in your heart right now, just tell him, Lord, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. I don't deserve it, but I thank you that your grace provides it. So, Lord, I want to take advantage of all that you've given. I thank you, God. I don't deserve it. But, Lord, I need it. I need you. I need Christ the Lord in my life. I've tried in my own, and I've been to that place, Lord, where it's produced in me depression, self-medication, even thoughts of suicide. And Lord, today I need the hope. I need the living hope in me. Come on, Jesus the Christ, God in the flesh is the only one that's got an empty grave. Just accept him into your heart today. I don't care if you've been coming to church for years and years. Let the living Christ come move into your heart and destroy destroy every other worldview so that he can become 
your every view, your world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the waves and wind know his name. But do we know him well enough? Do we know him in the place where we know his name? Because man, because the angel said he's Jesus, he's Christ the Lord. Is that who you're calling out to when the waves are big, when the seas are rough? Because you see, the waves and the wind, they know his name. The question is, do we know his name? Not Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus Christ the Lord. Come on, let's sing this. We all stand with me. If you need prayer this morning, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. I would love that opportunity. If you need that today, step out. Come on, let's sing this out today. But you can declare this in Christ. It is well. It's what he does. With my back next weekend. I pray that you'll go today and, and go be the church. Go be the redeemed. Go be the blood bought. Go be that which God has called and intended for you to be today. The church is not being dismissed. The church is being commissioned to go. Let church begin. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Don't forget, go to a life group. Find a group for yourself to get plugged into. Tonight, there's a number of them that are going on this afternoon and tonight. And, uh, and don't forget, go to the website, sign up for those classes, sign up for the Dave Ramsey program. And it, again, it is for free. So sign up through the church website so that you get it for free. God bless you all. Have a great day today. Come on, let's sing this as we go. Yeah.